so nice. Hello, Michael. Hello, Hava. How are you? Uh oh, what's wrong? Uh, I don't know. This has just turned out to be a stressful month in terms of work. Just a lot of things have like conspired to happen at once and require my attention, and I don't like that. But I'm getting better. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. I'm like slowly clawing my way back to some semblance of my normal mood. So hopefully I'm able to get there. Last night I recorded on another podcast, which will come out in a week and a half from today, which, you know, you all will find out about then. But I I had to tell you the story when we started recording, they were like, okay, can you go ahead and record a track on your end? So that we have something if the recording doesn't work out. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't do that. Like, I just have Michael do that for me. (laughs) I don't know about any of that. I did record a track and I'm very proud of myself. It's the most audio like skill I've had to learn since we've had this podcast. I'm very proud of you. I am truly uh, a fool blessed by the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) with a Michael who makes it so that I don't have to learn about any of that stuff. (laughs) Wait, can we not announce the podcast that you were Yeah, sure. Let's announce it. I don't know. I'm just just stumbling around in the dark trying to find my footing. The podcast is called Rabbit Hole, and I am on an episode. They're doing a series exploring the question, are schools good? And the general question of pedagogy. So I am on that show talking about Talmud and Talmudic pedagogy, which was fun to talk to some sort of outsiders, you know, about the Talmud world. That's always fun. That's cool. That's cool. The podcast is hosted by Sparky Abraham and Pete Davis, who I've listened to their stuff on the Current Affairs podcast before. Yes, that they are formerly of Current Affairs fame. Yes, so they're fun, kind of lefty folks. Yeah, I think our listeners will enjoy the episode. We'll definitely share it out when it comes out. That's cool. Okay, so Hava, you're doing great. (laughs) Thank you. I'm doing my best. I feel like I'm in a puddle of muck trying to claw my way out. You texted me. Looks like you're going to get more Jewish contracting work. Yeah, sort of. It's more It's more general administrative stuff that just happens to be for a Jewish place. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm very self-conscious about whether my typing skills will be adequate to the position. I feel like you're a good typer. You have like <laughs> high word count energy. I don't know if you actually have high <laughs> word count, but you have that I energy. don't know how to feel about that, honestly. I know you don't have long nails. Right. I used to once upon a time. Once upon a time when I worked in the office at Apple, I had these big, long, like, inch and a half long acrylics oh see i guess what i'm trying to say is i think you'd be very well cast as someone's secretary in a show thank you thank you that's my that's my goal you know is just to finally reach a woman's true place which is as a secretary um no comment (laughs) yeah so you know i'm stumbling along it's fucking hot as hell outside i don't like that I started a new book. I'm reading the Ursula K. Le Guin book, Rokinen's World. It's in the same set of books as The Left Hand of Darkness. And I've always wanted to read it because it does some important world building for that series, but it's one of her earliest works. So it has like a really different Ursula flavor than the rest of her work. That sounds nice. Yeah, it is nice. Cool. That's great. Michael. Yes. Michael Joseph Sokolowski. 
Hi, how are you? How am I? Okay, I got my chainsaw. Oh, finally. I know. So I've been chaining up, sawing up, I guess, actually. is the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, just clearing. There's a bunch of old pine logs that are half rotten mm-hmm. that are strewn well, about. Have you been getting so sticky with pine sap? Well, no. Uh, they're rotten enough that there's no pine sap left. Oh, wow. Interesting. When we were chainsawing stuff, when I lived on the farm in Washington, we would we had like specific pairs of pants for chainsawing because we would be like straddling the log and the entire inside thighs of our pants would just be like covered with cakes of sap. Oh, God. It was gross. That's no fun. No, no, no. It's nothing like that. Just cleaning up old, like, down trees that um, that are around. So that's been fun. Oh, oh my God. We got a dump cart. Oh, another dump cart. It's like a wheelbarrow, but with four wheels. So it's easier Mm -hmm. to maneuver. And then you can, like, Mm. dump it. And it's huge. Wow. Grunge Girl took me for a ride in it. (laughs) <laughs> it was awesome that's very I cute had a wagon ride maybe that's ever. very very cute probably the first time a jew has ever gone on a wagon ride <laughs> in history I'm sure it's not i don't know i just don't associate jews with wagons i'm pretty sure tevia rides in a wagon in fiddler on the roof i'm talking about a wagon with four wheels that you drag i don't know okay anyway who's that poet about the red wagon? william carlos williams he should write a poem like i saw a jew in a wagon the wagon was red I'm so sorry I took away your grapes. The plums in the icebox. Okay, that's what you're referencing. Okay, anyway. So the point is I have a wagon. Right. And I got a chainsaw. Nothing can stop you now. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't stop me now. Right, Mr. Fahrenheit. Yes. God, that's such a fucking good song. Uh, I know. I uh, know. Wow. Moment of appreciation for that song on the pod. Should we talk about Talmud? Yeah, let's talk about Talmud. Let's just do it. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, listener question episode. Yes. Very brief listener question, but has led us to a very fun story. Hi there. Big fan. I'm very curious about Nazarites. I read this incredibly gay portion on Nazir 4B, starting at line 14. Why does Shimon dislike Nazarites so much and refuse to eat their offerings? And why would someone make a Nazarite vow anyways? So those are the questions we're going to be exploring today. And here is, I'm only going to read one paragraph in the original. So our first paragraph in translation is, Shimon Hatzadik, Shimon the Righteous, said, In all my days as a priest, I never ate the offering of a ritually impure Nazarite, apart from the offering of one man who came to me from the south, who had beautiful eyes and a fine countenance, and his locks were arranged in curls. And I said to him, my son, why did you become a Nazarite, which would force you to destroy this beautiful hair? So already great setup. I have questions. I want to ask questions. Bring it on. Okay, context. Priests aren't supposed to eat offerings from unclean people. Is that true? No, the deep here is there is this thing that happens. So for those of you who don't know, if you become a Nazarite, you take this vow where you can't be around dead bodies, you can't cut your hair, and you can't consume grape products. Let's say you're a Nazarite and someone like suddenly dies next to you in a way that's unpreventable. There's sort of a special offering you have to go make for that to sort of restart your Nazarite term. They talk about it in Numbers 6, 9, basically. You have to bring two turtle doves and two pigeons, 
and the priest will offer one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering, and make expiation. And that same day, their head shall be reconsecrated, and they'll rededicate themselves as a Nazarite, bringing a lamb in its first year as a penalty offering. The previous period shall be void since the consecrated hair was defiled. Which, um, we're not really going to talk about the hair being defiled, but I'm I'm very interested in the idea that the hair is like the important thing here. That's interesting. So, a couple of things, a couple questions here. This priest, Shimon, is refusing to partake in this statutory exercise for yes. some reason. Okay, so he's being a meanie. He's not playing by the rules. Yes. Well, there are two possible interpretations of this and the less popular interpretation would be that basically so few people choose to rededicate themselves that shimon never encountered one aka like the nazari vow is so onerous that when someone's term gets fucked up by circumstances beyond their control they just give up and so i see one interpretation is he's not saying I chose not to do this. He's just saying like... It's never happened. It's never happened. Except in this one case. Exactly. The other interpretation, which is more popular with the commentators, is Shimon does not think people should be becoming Nazarites. So he is like refusing to re-inaugurate their Nazarite periods by not eating their offerings. Interesting. So in support of the former argument, where it's like, this is just so rare, am I right in thinking, if you fuck up your Nazarite vow by accident, did you say that it retroactively means that you never were a Nazarite during that time? I don't know if it means, like, metaphysically you never were a Nazarite, but it definitely means that period is invalidated. So let's say you made a Nazarite vow for seven years, and on day, you know, 364 of year six you were accidentally defiled, all canceled, and you have to start again from day one. Oh my god. I can see why, then, the first argument might make sense. Right, and that's what I thought until I read the commentaries and thought about the other possibility. The other deal, and this is relevant to our listeners' question, is that the rabbis are generally not a fan of the Nazarite vow. And there's a lot of ways we can interpret this. The most charitable way to interpret it is basically the rabbis are concerned because if you take a Nazarite vow, you are intentionally multiplying your opportunities to sin because normally you could have those things, you know, and not incur any spiritual penalty, but you're basically like creating more opportunities for yourself to fuck up. But are you also creating higher level mitzvah points? Right. Well, that is a big debate. Maimonides said, Our sages directed man to abstain only from those things which the Torah denies him, and not to forbid himself permitted things by vows and oaths. Thus, our sages rhetorically asked, Are not the things which the Torah has prohibited sufficient for you? Why must you add further prohibitions? So the majority rabbinic opinion seems to be like, a negative opinion. Uh, We'll see as we continue through this story, they are, as a general rule, dubious about people's motivations for taking this vow. They tend to think people are either doing it for vain reasons, you know, like they want to seem spiritual, or they're doing it impulsively. They don't even really understand it. Basically, they think the benefits don't outweigh the negatives. And in general, the sages have an underlying bias against binding vows. 
being made by lay people. I mean, it seems like it's about power, knowingly or unknowingly. Right. That's the uncharitable read of it, is that their concern is not genuine, but rather just a cover for their own desire to sort of consolidate ecclesiastic power. This is sort of the origin of a ritual that that many of us do today, Kol Nidre, which is the opening of Yom Kippur, where there's a liturgical moment where we say, like, our vows are not vows, you know, everything is undone, null, and void. That whole ceremony is linked to this rabbinic distrust of vows, and it's sort of instituted as a way to undermine the institution of the nadir, of which a Nazarite vow is a sort of a subcategory, because you could take other kinds of binding vow. You could say, like, I'm not going to wear a dress for a year as a binding vow, and that would be halachically like equivalent to you know a, a real mitzvah oh okay so they would be okay with that kind of vow no they don't want they don't want oh, anyone okay. making those kind of vows basically because either people just get themselves into too much trouble and it's too hard to release yourself from vows and too easy to break them thus you're endangering yourself unnecessarily or because they want to consolidate rabbinic power one of those two things so what makes a vow a neder vow versus like a vow which I imagine they are into, like marriage vows? That's kind of a, a different, and this is just my sense, someone could correct me of the facts on this, but marriage is not actually a vow, it's a contract. Oh, okay, okay. Vow is a, is a very Christian way of understanding marriage. Maybe it's not just Christian, I'm sure other people think about it that way, but we always think of people making vows at marriages, but in the halachic sense... What's happening at marriage is primarily like a mutual, whether between a man and a, like a woman's father or like in an egalitarian world between a man and a woman or between any number of people of any number of genders. It's a interaction between autonomous parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just has different metaphysical weight. And like what marriage is, is already adjudicated by a whole body of law in halakha, right? You don't need to take a vow to never cheat on your wife because there's already a whole body of halacha dedicated to adultery. Oh, wow. Because it's a contract and not a vow, Judaism, it's almost hardwired in that divorce is a thing that is going to happen. And right. even acceptable. Right. Um, right. Which is kind of interesting. It's, I don't know what it's like among other peoples that have marriage, but it's interesting that Judaism has this idea of divorce. Right. I mean, I know there are some subsets of Christianity that are like, divorce is just not real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not possible. Yeah, it's not possible, which I love. Hate it. Well, I just love the commitment. I love the commitment to the bit. Yeah, I would love it if it was commitment by all the parties involved instead of like commitment by one party to enforce it on another party, whether yeah, or not well, that's bad. through their will. I would say, in fact, that divorce is a necessary possibility for real commitment to be possible. If there's no possibility oh. of ever being divorced, you're in no danger like, it doesn't require anything from you to maintain the integrity of your marriage. You're going to be married no matter what. So, like, I think that is actually oh, sort of, like, less commitment to the bit than marriage with the possibility of dissolution. It's death that gives meaning to life, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, we've, got, we've gotten off onto a totally different... I mean, not totally different, but there's more to the story to explore. Okay, okay. Back to the story. We have this rabbi... 
mm-hmm. who's saying he's never either had a Nazarite come to him and try to redo his vows, or he's always mm-hmm. refused it. We're not sure. And this Nazarite right. comes, and he says, why would you want to rededicate yourself because your hair is so nice? When Nazarites first become Nazarites, do they have to shave their head? Definitely when you rededicate yourself, you have to shave your head. Got you it. have to okay. start the hair over. Got to start the hair over. Got it. So if Shimon ate this person's... Uh, um pigeon offering yeah whatever <laughs> he <laughs> he would have to shave his head as okay. as part of that process all right okay so the last thing he said is like why did you do this which would require you to cut off all this beautiful hair min <laughs> He said, I was once a shepherd for my father in my town. And once I went to draw water from the spring, and I looked at my reflection in the water, and my evil inclination, my Yetzirah, rose against me and sought to drive me from this world. And I said to my evil inclination, Empty one, for what reason are you proud in a world that is not yours? For your end will be worms and maggots. I swear by the temple service, I will become a Nazarite and shave you for the sake of heaven. And Shimon Hadzadik arose and kissed him on his head and said to him, May there be more Nazarites like you in Israel. With regard to you, the verse states, When either a man or woman shall utter a vow, the vow of a Nazarite to consecrate themselves to the Lord. Says he means to the Lord, like you truly did this for the sake of heaven. Oh, okay. So, so Jewish narcissus. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. So, basic summary is: Hey guys, I'm Shimon. Never rededicated a Nazarite. Either it's never happened because it's so rare, or it's like I don't do that because it's just not cool. But this right. one time, someone came up to me and had beautiful hair. It was so convincing in his reason why he wanted to rededicate himself he was just so into god and was so genuinely up for it i was just (laughs) i i i I did it i ate his pigeon (laughs) if you know what i mean if you know what i mean (laughs) yeah basically like he did it for such a good reason which was to counteract his own vanity and to embrace the impermanence of his mortal beauty that i i like i went with it okay Or conversely, if we're following the other interpretation, this was the only person I ever encountered who was like actually motivated enough to come make this offering. This sounds like, well, I don't usually let you go with a warning, but since you're wearing (laughs) such a revealing halter top, that's kind of what's going on here. I mean, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's interesting to think about like what, how Shimon is is thinking about this person. Because the thing is that if Shimon does this, the very beauty he's remarking on will be destroyed, right? Yes. Which is sort of the difference between those two situations is that he is sort of accepting the transience of this beauty if he puts him through the process, if he lets him off with a warning. This doesn't strike me as a problem that needs to be resolved. How many times have I heard you, Hava, like look at some clean-cut, muscular guy walking down the street and you being like, "Mm, I would destroy that guy. (laughs) 
Yeah, we've all heard it. A couple things strike me about this. One of these things was, what is the deal with the evil inclination? The story says, my evil inclination rose against me and sought to drive me from this world. So like, what is it that the evil inclination is stirring him to do? In the story of Narcissus and the Greek myth, the person becomes so obsessed with his own reflection that eventually he turns into a flower retaining his beauty but losing his humanity that doesn't seem like a risk here <laughs> i don't think it's yetzerhar is trying to turn him into a flower i kind of read that as being a hedonistic person mm. so i feel like we're getting to sort of the deeper conflict in this story that i feel like is an unresolved tension in rabbinic judaism as a whole if the danger is sensual pleasures i would think the rabbis would be more friendly to nazarite vows as a whole because sensual pleasures are always there to tempt us, whether we're as handsome as this person or not. This person is just an extreme case of what we're all going through. And so if this really is a virtue, if it really is a virtue to cut yourself off from the temptations of the flesh, then I would expect the rabbis to have basically the exact opposite view about no. the Nazarite vow no, as no. they do have. No, 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 because they don't want you to take the vow according to you. This is based on what you've, you've said to me during this episode, Hava. Uh-huh. Don't take the vow because then you're committing double the crime. You've given into some bad thing that you're not supposed to do, and you've said that you wouldn't in a vow-like fashion, so you're, like, double punished for it. So why would Shimon approve of this guy's actions? He could have just shaved his hair regular style well that's what i'm saying i think shimon is being inconsistent in that moment i think he is being mm. affected by the beauty of this guy he's not giving him the ticket he's affected by the halter top i, I, I think see. it's almost it's almost like a funny joke it's like a rabbi being like don't take any of these vows because you're just gonna break them and you're gonna double down on your anti-mitzvahs and we don't need mm -hmm. all that anti-mitzvah <laughs> energy but let me tell you one time <laughs> one time i saw this real hottie he was so hot and he was like I really want to take the Nazarite vow because my hotness is just so hot. Too powerful. It's too powerful. I recognize it and I just need to like back off of my hotness. Please, 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 please let me do it and eat my pigeon. <laughs> and, he was, and I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to let him Fuck eat it. the pigeon. I'm, I'm gonna give, give me the pigeon. I'm going to devour it. It's going to be great. Right. Am I reading humor in there? That I mean, maybe there? there there is humor. I I was reading it more sincerely, and and part of what was driving my curiosity in this story was like seeing this anonymous shepherd as like someone who's being a little bit valorized here, even though his behavior is really inconsistent with a lot of what I would say Judaism embraces in Talmud, which is about sort of like the things that are permitted to us are like permitted for us to enjoy, you know. And this person is like uh, having a very ascetic, like monastic rejection of sensual pleasure. And that contradiction was what was so curious to me. I think part of the reason also there's this strong anti-Nazarite movement in the Talmud is because at the time of the rabbis, there were a lot more competitors for what Judaism might be. Yeah. And yeah. some of those competitors were ascetic movements that despise the pleasures of the flesh. And so I think part of this stance could also just be uh, an important way of the rabbis of the Talmud differentiating themselves from yeah. other sects that they didn't like. You could even read this as like them giving a bit of a nod to the other sects that they don't. Right. Like, okay, I see you over there. 
Right. This is like the one cool guy from the other team. Yeah, I, I imagine like a scene, two generals on opposite sides of a battle being like, we're on opposite sides, but I respect your bravery. You know, I, <laughs> if I were in your position, I would have done the same thing. I'm sorry it right. had to come to this. I will now chop off your head. You know, one of those. <laughs> right. Or your hair in this case. Yeah. I, I mean, you could zoom out and take this to be there's always an exception that proves the rule or there's no such thing as a universal rule that can be stated in human language. Right. Which seems to be at least one of the big themes that pervades our podcast mm -hmm. and may even be a Jewish tenant if you believe in the ever-evolving Katamari ball of Jewish law. <laughs> you know? Right, which I do very much. Yeah, if you subscribe to that, then you sort of implicitly subscribe to the idea that you can't really put laws into words that will stand the test of time. Right, right. There's always going to be some anonymous shepherd from the South who will sort of throw everything off balance yeah. with their immense beauty. Yeah, it's true. Wait, but did we answer the... What was the listener's question? Well, the listener's question was... Why does Shimon dislike Nazarites so much and refuse to eat their offerings, which I think we gave some answers to? And why would someone make a Nazarite vow anyway? Which I think we've implied some answers to, but basically, you know, one possible answer in this story is like to protect themselves from temptation. In general, the answer throughout rabbinic literature seems to be basically like in order to ascend to a higher level of spirituality, sometimes to, um, to sort of repent for something as sort of like, a, oh, I'm going to put in some extra like spiritual work by becoming a Nazarite to sort of like build myself up some credit with God because I did this one fucked up thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, so sometimes it's like that, like a Baal thing, you know, someone comes, has been like a hedonist and comes back to Judaism. They're like, okay, I have to be a Nazarite, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. I can like stay on the straight and narrow. So there are plenty of agendas and, the one that's present here is is seemingly just protection from temptation. As listeners will probably know already, that this podcast is pro-Nazarite in general. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm Nazarite neutral, if anything. Well, you're pro-monastic Judaism becoming a yeah, thing. Yeah, so true. But monastic doesn't necessarily mean ascetic. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We will, we're going to have some, like, lavish parties. In our <laughs> <laughs> that's right, in the monastery. Uh, if anyone knows of any monastic Jewish organizations out there in the world. Yeah, tell us about them. Tell us about them. We want to hear about it. Yeah. So that's the story of the beautiful Nazarite. I thought you would enjoy this one as a, a someone with curly hair that, you know, I'm sure Shimon Hatzadik would lament if he knew it was going to be destroyed. Oh, uh, well. And as someone who recently destroyed their long, beautiful curly hair and made his short, beautiful curly hair. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I like it. I love the double reading of it. Mm -hmm. And I like how, to me, based on what you've told me, it's really unclear which one it is. It could really go either way. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a tasty little exploration. I'm so glad the listener brought it to us. I feel like we barely even talked about the homoerotic undertones. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, just it kind of goes with I mean, saying. that's passe at this point on this show. <laughs> we don't even mention the gay sex in the Talmud anymore. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Great. I love it. Great. Thank you, Ava. My pleasure. Listeners, if you want to get twice as much of the Michigas as you just heard, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? To get a bonus episode every week of other Talmudic nonsense, which is incredibly wonderful. But whether you join our Patreon or not, thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best.
and we'll talk to you later. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.